Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. In last service, when I said, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, there was some, uh, there's a lady in the back corner that went, whoop, whoop. And uh, I had to explain uh, to the visitors in the room why someone was, was cheering. Um, so if, if you're a visitor here at St. Rose Community Church, we're so glad that you're here with us. And uh, we invite you in on the home stretch of what has been a two and a half year journey uh, studying Paul's epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, and we begin this morning um, chapter 16, the final chapter uh, of the book of Romans. Now, why in the world have we spent two and a half years studying a book written 2,000 years ago, verse by verse, sentence by sentence, phrase by phrase, word by word? Um, we believe that there is a God, and we believe that that God is not silent, that He created the world and He created people in it by His good design, and that He is a God who did not step away from them and then let them figure it out on their own, but He's a God that stepped toward them in a personal way. He is a God who, who speaks, who makes himself known. And one of the ways that God Almighty has chosen to speak, to make himself known, and to make his plans for his people known, is by inspiring people to write his words on paper and to preserve those words for 2,000 years. And he did that through the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And it has been one of the most thorough summaries of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is a God in heaven who is good, that we as humans are not good, and that presents a problem. That we cannot have a relationship with God because of sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins that we might know God not only now, but for eternity in heaven with him. The book of Romans is about a God who is saving a people for himself. Though we are sinful, we are invited to be God's people. Invited to have peace with God through faith in Jesus, Romans 5.1. Invited to be united with Jesus' resurrection, that we will resurrect one day, Romans 6. Five. We've been invited into a relationship with God where there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. We are filled with the Spirit of God, Romans 8.2-11. Adopted by God the Father, Romans 8.15-17. And we will never be separated from the love of Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, no matter what happens in this life or the next, Romans 8.36-39. And right now, as God's people... We have been called to participate in God's mission. That God is on a mission to save people through the message of Jesus, and he aims to accomplish that mission through his people. We have been employed, we have been commissioned to participate in God's mission by going and proclaiming good news to sinners that Jesus 
saves. And we do so together. Romans 12 introduced us to an analogy for what the community of the people of God should be like. Romans 12, 4 says that that is in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So though we are many, we are one body in Christ individually, members of one another. So God's people are joined to God through faith in Jesus and joined to each other through faith in Jesus, in a new spiritual family carrying out the mission of God. So, so Romans has been packed with really what are the essentials of the Christian message. It has been absolutely beautiful theology about God saving a people for himself. But Romans 16 is the chapter that you skim quickly in your quiet times because it seems irrelevant. Romans 16 is the end of the letter. We're not in like big, deep theological instruction here. We, we are in what is a, a sort of like final hellos or goodbyes in a letter. Paul is greeting people, or rather he is asking for the Roman church to greet people on his behalf. There's a personal touch to this, and, and, and we're tempted to breeze right through this big 16-verse uh, a section of names. It's just name after name after name of people that Paul wants to greet. But, but what I want us to do this morning and, and next week as we dive into this list of names is to recognize them for what they really are. These names are very much real people. Real, historical, flesh and blood people from 2,000 years ago, who were changed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ that we've been studying for two and a half years. This, this list of names rep represent real people with real stories. They, they are the manifestation, the result of the good news of Jesus that Paul's been describing for us for the previous 15 years. Chapter. So we're, so we're going to take two weeks on this list of names, and uh, really this week we're going to spend all our time just on the first name. And then next week uh, we're going to look at all the commonalities and sort of the backdrop for the uh, other 15 names or so. So um, verse 1, allow me to read verses 1 and 2, and uh, then, then we're just going to pause and ask for God to, to give us understanding. Romans 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints and help her. And whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you uh, recognizing that uh, you speak even through the obscure verses in Scripture, that, 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 that you are sovereignly in control of every single detail in the universe, and you have preserved this sentence, verses 1 and 2, so that we might read them in this room this morning and, and learn how it is that you use your people to fulfill the mission of sharing salvation to a lost people. 
So God, I pray that you would use these sentences, that you would guard my mouth. Father, I pray that you would help me to say the things that are true by the power of your spirit and only things that are true by the power of your spirit. Help me not to just share opinion, but help me to submit myself under what you say, for what you say is what we need to hear. So Father, we, we ask that, that you be the authority in this room and uh, help us to submit under it. We love you and uh, we just ask these things by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. So one of the reasons we're splitting up this list of names and just hitting one this week and then like a whole bunch next week is because Paul seems to split up this list of names. Uh, in 16 verses, he uses the, the Greek word for greet them 16 times. So every time he introduces somebody, he, he uses this word greetings. And what he's asking is basically, hey, say hello to so-and-so for me or greet them warmly for me. So he's writing about the people in Rome whom he's writing to saying, hey, say hello to so-and-so, say hello to so-and-so. Recognize he's writing from Corinth about a thousand miles away. So he is greeting people whom he has ministered with previously or whom he's heard about. Uh, so say hello to these people, but there's one name that Paul does not ask the reader to greet for him. There's one name that Paul actually says, welcome her as she comes to you. And that name is Phoebe. Phoebe is playing a different role than the rest of the names in this text. She is not already in Rome. Rather, she is going to be on her way to Rome from a place called Centuria. It's a port city very close to Corinth where Paul is writing his letter from. And so Paul takes a moment uh, before the rest of the greetings and he wants to first talk about Phoebe. And he commends her and he describes her and he requests that the church take care of her. And the question that I want to ask firstly is, is why does Paul commend Phoebe in the way that he does uh, uniquely from the rest of the people in the, in the text. And then what in the world can we learn from this sister in the faith? So here's the structure this morning. Um, the first, uh, we're going to look at three facts about Phoebe. And so we're just going to be kind of filling in historical gaps, okay? Just kind of building the picture of who Phoebe is and why she's included here. So we're going to look at three facts about Phoebe. And then we're going to transition halfway through. And then we're going to ask, okay, what do we learn from this? these facts about Phoebe, and we're going to look at three implications of Phoebe's ministry, how Paul's theology influences the way he describes Phoebe here. So, fact number one, and this is a big one, Phoebe carried Paul's letter to Rome. Phoebe carried Paul's letter to Rome. Now, this is not explicitly stated in these two verses, but the context clues make it fairly certain. When you would travel in the ancient world, um, you couldn't just call ahead for an Airbnb. Uh, you, you, you couldn't just sort of like rent out a Holiday Inn, uh, stay at a Holiday Inn. And, and often what would happen is what you would need when you, arrove, or when you arrived, a rove is not the past tense of arrive. <laughs> Maybe it is. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> when you would arrive uh, to, a, to a city, um, there would be acquaintances or friends or people whom you know are there or who a friend knows there. And, and a friend would write a letter of commendation saying that you're not a thief, 
uh, you're not a bandit or a murderer or whatever, and that you just need somewhere to stay. And you would sort of bring this authentication saying, hey, see, so-and-so knows you, and they would say something uh, to sort of bridge that gap, and they, they are vouching for me to stay with you. And so what's happening here in Romans 16, and specifically using the language of commendation, Paul is writing a letter of commendation because Phoebe is going to be the one arriving in, the, in Rome with the letter for the churches. And so in the letter, Paul is saying, I commend to you Phoebe so that you will take care of her. She needs somewhere to stay. <laughs> she needs some food to eat. And, and now I want you to feel the weight of this this morning because I, I'm not just explaining this because I want you guys to be better at Bible trivia, right? I mean, I mean, Drew is like the Bible trivia guy. Like, I'm not just wanting you to like knock it out of the park when he asks stuff about Phoebe. Like, like I want you to feel the weight of the reality of what's happening here. Phoebe is not, tradi- is not a traditional Jewish name. Phoebe is more of a traditional pagan name meaning that she likely comes from a background of paganism where she worshipped false gods in or around the city of Corinth. But at some point in Phoebe's life, she has been told the best conceivable news in the world. That, that Artemis or whatever god, false gods were being worshipped in the city are false. And that there's one true God that loves her, and that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who lived the perfect life for her and died on a cross that she might be forgiven of all of her sins. And Phoebe has heard the message of the gospel at some point in her life, and it has changed everything for her. And according to Paul, this woman who, who was a very much a part of the pagan culture, worshiping gods that don't exist, now he calls her a spiritual sister in the family of God. Now Paul calls her a saint, meaning that she became a holy one. Saint literally means holy one. Phoebe was someone made holy in the sight of God by her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I feel like you just got to pause there and just praise the Lord. Because this is the kind of thing that God does. He takes people, no matter how far away they are from Him or how many obstacles or barriers separate them from relationship with the one true God, no matter how much they've sinned in their lives, how much they've rebelled against Him, God forgives them, changes them, and then invites them to participate in a mission bigger than themselves. And I don't know Phoebe's whole story by any means, but I'm sure there are moments in her life where she could not even imagine that God would love her or forgive her, much less use her in a way in a way that we would even be speaking her name 2,000 years later because she would carry a letter that would literally change not only people's lives, but the world over and over and over again. I don't think Phoebe had a clue <laughs> at the scope of what God was doing that, that, that people in, in St. Rose, Louisiana, 2,000 years later, would be reading the letter 
that she carried a thousand miles so the church in Rome could read and understand the gospel more clearly. Now, now don't, don't just quickly listen to that a thousand miles part. I mean, I, I, I imagine, I mean, just imagine with me the task of carrying the letter. And I imagine Paul, as he's writing the letter, or rather as he's, uh, he's dictating the letter, you'll find out later in Romans 16 that this letter, Paul's actually, there's a group of people and Paul's speaking and there's a guy named Tertius who's writing down what Paul's saying. And, and so I imagine this moment where Paul is, is dictating the, the letter of Romans and Tertius is writing it down and, and they're discussing things. And, 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 and I imagine this moment in the company of, Romans 16 says that there was Timothy, Jason, Gaius, other people um, who were co-laborers with Paul at this time. And I imagine that at some point, somebody must have asked, who's going to carry the letter? Right? I mean, this has got to get there. <laughs> Amazon's not a thing, right? <laughs> like, like, who's taking this to them? And, 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 and I imagine that the following conversation, there, there will be more questions, like follow-up questions. Who can we trust to endure the thousand-mile journey and safely get this letter to Rome? Who can we trust not to lose this thing, right? And I imagine they're in the group and they're like, well, don't get old Jehoshaphat over there because he loses his wallet everywhere he goes, right? I mean, so probably not him, who can we trust to not lose this letter? Who can we trust not to change this letter? Who can we trust not to give up when the travel gets rough? Not only who can we trust, but goodness gracious, who's willing to step away from their life here in Corinth, their life here in Centuria? Who's willing to leave the safety and comfort of their own home, to navigate the challenges of the travel in the first century? And, and somehow, someway, somebody suggested, what about Phoebe? And apparently everyone agrees that she should be the one to carry the letter to Rome. So Paul begins to pin his commendation of her in hopes the Roman church would welcome her. So verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. So Number one, fact number one, Phoebe carried Paul's letter to Rome. Fact number two, Phoebe was a servant of the church at Centuria. Now, in Paul's attempt to commend Phoebe, he points to the service, her, her, her service in a local church. In other words, there's a community of people in Centuria that affirm her as a servant. Like, this isn't just my words. Like, there's a whole body of Christ that says that she is a servant of the church. Now, the word servant there is an interesting word. Uh, it, it comes from the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our uh, term deacon. So, so the word diakonos can be an official title uh, for deacon in the church, or it could be a less official term uh, for simply serving in the church. Now, this is significant because this sort of um, informs how we structure the church. Is Paul celebrating the fact that she's got a servant's heart? Or is Paul saying, hey, there's a church in Centuria that has affirmed her into the office of deacon, like, a, like a, a special office recognized for her godliness and her willingness to do hard things and to give of herself for the good of the church. Now, 
There's some debate about this, um, uh, but I'll just put my cards on the table where I stand with this and where the other elders at the church stand with this. Um, we've even been discussing this recently. I think despite some traditions of some Southern Baptists that, that I respect and love, even some that have mentored me, when I look in the Bible, I can't get around the fact that it sure looks like Paul is calling her a deacon, <laughs> like serving as a deacon in the local church. Now, maybe you're not familiar with how churches are structured, so let, allow me to chase a rabbit real quick, okay? Just quick, we're just going to chase it kill it as quickly as we can, not kill it, love it, pet it, if you're against the killing thing, sorry. <laughs> Julianne's like, no, kill the rabbit, okay, all right, <laughs> We're, let, me, let me just chase this rabbit real, real quick, so, so God, God designed the church, okay, uh, it, it, pastors are God's idea, I mean, everything that exists, is, I mean, trees are God's idea, so, so God designs the church, and he has given to the church three offices for how we structure to, to get things done together. There's the office of elder, the office of deacon, and then the office of just church member, okay? And so you see all these three things, one of the clearest places in Philippians 1.1 when he just greets the church and he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, so all the ones made holy uh, by their faith in Jesus, so that's all church members, okay? Saints, not a football team, not a portrait with like the big glowing thing on their heads. Biblical saints are all Christians, people who put faith in Jesus. So to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are filled by, with the overseers, so another word for pastor, and deacons. So three roles in a local church, members, pastors or overseers, and deacons. Church members all work together to carry out the mission of God. Right? Ephesians 4, one of the roles of a pastor, Ephesians 4 verse 12, one of my roles is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Every church member is getting it done, making disciples, using their gifts for the glory of God in the body of Christ. Some Christians are called to be pastors or elders. Pastors have the unique role of doing what I'm doing right now, standing up teaching and preaching from God's word for the whole congregation, overseeing the entirety of the flock and bringing and shepherding people, like caring for people under the authority of Jesus, who is our chief shepherd. I'm not ultimate authority, Jesus is. I serve under him to serve and love you and hopefully to, as best way as I possibly can, though I'm not perfect, try to represent Jesus to you, his love, his care, his uh, teaching truth to you as best he can. Now, pastors... Um, in the scriptures, um, and again, there's a whole other rabbit that we need to chase, but pastors in the scriptures um, are, are, are reserved for men. Uh, and, and I recognize that that's an unpopular opinion to some, especially in our culture, but, but the, the scriptures are just like super clear that God has a design for men to lead out in the role of pastoring. But there's another role in the church called deacon meaning servant, and its role is so integral to how the whole mechanism works together. So, so think about it. There is so much that goes into the ministry of God that he has called us to, okay? So, so he's called us to far more than, than this preaching moment, or far more than pastoral counsel. He has called us to minister to children and to youth, to 
care for the poor, to share the gospel message with our community, to get the gospel to the nations. I mean, just fill in the blank. There's all kinds of stuff. And I just want you to consider the logistics that just go into something like a Sunday morning gathering. Okay, it's like a Sunday morning gathering. Bills were paid. Praise the Lord, right? So lights were on. Facilities were maintained and clean. Music was planned. Technology is being utilized. Visitors are being greeted. Child care is being provided. And the list goes on. Like tons of stuff come together in this moment. How much more? How many more logistics are there for caring for thousands of widows in the first century who were impoverished and had no food? See, one of the things that the um, uh, apostles recognized in Acts chapter 6 was that there was so much that the church was called to do and that God had gifted people uniquely so that more could be done. And so they, 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 really institu- they started to institute this sort of office as sort of like the beginnings of it to when that huge issue was going on. Widows needed food. They appointed people to serve that particular ministry and to give their full attention to it so the pastors could continue doing the work of preparing to teach and preach and pray and, and shepherd and, and give counsel. That role that took care of the widow ministry was a deacon-like role. Deacons are the ones who get stuff done in a lot of ways. They're people uniquely gifted to oversee particular areas of life together, right? Does that make sense? Are we... We track in. So you've got elders preaching and praying and shepherding. You've got members that are all chipping in to volunteer. But you've got deacons that are helping mobilize service ministries. Ministries that need to get done. Okay. So I think Phoebe, and both elders and deacons uh, in 1 Timothy 3, there are qualifications you've got to meet. You can disqualify yourself because these people must be models of Christ-likeness. Okay. So I think deacon, that Phoebe is a deacon of the church of Centuria. That's why um, it sounds official rather than just saying she's a good servant or whatever. It's of the church of Centuria. Now, if you disagree with me on that, that's okay, I love you. Uh, We can agree to disagree on that particular interpretation. I'm gonna be releasing uh, an article that I've written a couple years ago this afternoon. I'll send it in your emails, put it on Facebook on um, specifically one other text that deals with this and why I stand where I stand as far as her being a deacon. And I'm joined by a lot of other um, uh, biblical scholars as well on that interpretation. So, so here's Phoebe, all right? Carried Paul to the letter. Uh, she, she was a servant of the church at Centuria, and I, inc- I said servant rather than deacon just in case you disagree with me, uh, just to say at the very least, she was an awesome servant of a particular local church and everybody agreed. Romans 16, verses one and two. One more thing about Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself. Fact number three, Phoebe was a patron of many. So not only was she willing to travel a thousand miles, not only was she a recognized servant of a local church. But she was a patron of many. Patron meaning financial benefactor. Apparently, Phoebe was a woman of means. Somehow, some way, she had become wealthy in the port of Centuria, 
with all the travel going in and out of that port. And because of her new faith in Jesus, she began to use that wealth and that stage of life that she was in to provide for missionaries such as Paul. Apparently, the gospel of Jesus Christ changed her so much that she even began to see her finances not as tools to satisfy herself, but as tools to serve the one true God and the mission that she had been called to. Apparently, she was, she was someone who used her home as a place of hospitality for Christians in need. And now what Paul's doing is he's saying, she's been a patron of me. Like she's, she invited me in. When I landed on shore in Centuria and was going to Corinth to try to start a church, like she, she welcomed me in. And now what he's doing is he's, he's urging the Romans, she's bringing you the letter, please do for her what she's known for doing for others. Open your home, sacrifice your food and your belongings to, to care for this sister in Christ that the good news of Jesus might go forth. He simply wants them to help her in the ways that she has helped others. So three facts, carried the letter, was a servant, and was a patron. Now, um, who cares, right? I mean, that's cool. Um, Good trivia knowledge. Why does her example in this text matter for us? What implications can we draw from how Paul describes her? Okay, okay. There's more than I I can list um, in just this time that we have, but let me just give you three, okay? Implication number one, both men and women are essential to the mission of God. Both men and women are essential to the mission of God. Paul's going actually against the cultural grain in the Roman Empire. To list this woman first and to commend her in a more detailed way than he does any of the other people in the list. And and I just want to say this because there's a false stereotype about biblical Christianity that says that women are not valued in the economy of God. That, That because... Um, men were traditionally prophets, men were traditionally kings, men were traditionally, uh, or men are, are um, uh, instructed to be pastors, that somehow the Bible favors men as more valuable or more useful to God uh, than women. And I just want to say it's not true that men are favored more than women in the Bible. Uh, And and there is a lamentable reality. There's a lamentable pitfall in many churches which undervalue the ministry of women in the local church. Um, Jen Wilkin is the author of um, Women of the Word that you guys went through in the summer. And I've I've heard her say uh, uh, several times, and I think this is a good way of putting it, that in too many churches, um, women's ministry is nice but not necessary. And she says, women being involved in the mission of God is not just a nice addition to what the men are doing. It is necessary and it is essential for the mission of God because God values them equally and has called them to ministry in our midst and we cannot go without them. Men and women are essential to 
the mission of God. Paul writing this is showing that God Almighty intends to use his daughters and his sons in the missionary work. Now, now does that mean that men and women are exactly the same? No. We as biblical Christians do not ignore obvious differences between men and women as God has designed them. Rather, we celebrate the differences the way we celebrate the complementary colors of a sunset. It's the distinctions coming together that make the sunset beautiful. And so it is in the physical family of God, so it is in the spiritual family of God. We celebrate distinctions. We do not ignore them. Distinctions are God's design. We acknowledge that men and women are different by design and that it's good and beautiful. And so God charges husbands in the Bible to lead and love their wives, their children, the way that Jesus loved the church and gave him up, up for her. Husbands, I mean, goodness gracious, God has called you uniquely, and he's putting a responsibility on your shoulders uniquely to look like Jesus in the way that you would die for your wife and children. And that is part of God's design. And it is good. God made my wife uniquely and mentally, uniquely mentally, physically and emotionally capable of putting up with me one, but uniquely mentally, physically, emotionally capable of birthing and nurturing a child in a way that I'm literally incapable. Not by my choice, but I am, although I would make that choice, I am literally incapable. <laughs> and, and does that unique function in our family as, as mother make her more or less valuable than my unique function as father? No. Yeah, we, we function differently. But God's design is precious in the fact that we are equal in his eyes, yet distinct in our function with one another. And, and as it is with the family, so it is with the church family as well. All members, male and female, work together to make disciples of uh, the church. It is true, uh, especially in First Timothy chapter 2, that Paul's, Paul um, clearly states that the role of pastor is reserved for men, but that is not because men are somehow better or smarter <laughs> or more valuable, we're talking God's just design here. And as I understand them, deacons, official recognized servants of God's church, can be male or female. The, the point is this, that God has a design as old as the Garden of Eden. And it is for our joy, and it is for God's glory, and he uses his sons and his daughters uniquely in complementary ways according to his word. All are essential for the mission of God. Truth number two. Implication number two. Servanthood is essential to the mission of God. I want to pause here because, uh, goodness gracious, there's a temptation to idolize Paul's ministry of writing and preaching. There, there's a temptation to look at Paul as the author of the book of Romans that has changed people's lives for 2,000 years and to think, oh, that's how I want to minister right there, where, where I am seen, where my words are read. But what if someone like Phoebe or Tertius 
or others listed in Romans 16? What if they were so infatuated with Paul's public ministry that they did not participate in the more private, less noticeable acts of service God called them to? Like, what if, what if Phoebe looked at the task of letter delivering with disdain because of how not glorious it was? What if, what if the Roman Christians, preoccupied with other pursuits, did not open their homes to Phoebe? What if no one aspired to serve as deacons because caring for the poor, organizing the ministry, working out the logistics was beneath them? I praise God that Phoebe carried a letter and did not think that that particular act of service was beneath her. Christian, we all have a a part to play in the mission of God. We're all called to use what God has gifted us Whatever it may be. I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 10 that says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. And this is why. This is what God's doing through the unique giftings of everyone in this room. This is what he's doing by the distinctions all working together like a masterpiece. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ modeled servanthood for us. The King of kings and Lord of lords stepped off of a throne in heaven into human flesh. He walked with the least of these. He hung out with the demon-possessed and the leper and the impoverished and the social outcast. He fed the hungry. He washed feet. Jesus' most powerful moment of ministry was not the Sermon of the Mount. It was the Mount of Crucifixion. His most powerful moment was when he was doing the thing that no one would want to do in giving his life in the place of ruined sinners. We look to Jesus as our model of what's most important. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Man, may we at St. Rose Community Church consider the ministry of letter carrying to be one that could make a 2,000-year difference. May we clean toilets and cut grass and move chairs and care for children and bear the burdens of broken people and minister to the social outcast. And may we do it with joy of the Lord, knowing that there is something bigger happening here than just me and me pushing this back and we're doing whatever. The Lord has given me opportunity to do. Servanthood is essential to the mission of God. I praise God that uh, for the 830 service that somebody was in this building over here changing diapers so that a parent could hear the best news in the world in this room, that God loves them and offers them forgiveness. May nothing be beneath us as God's people.
And lastly, uh, implication number three, God orchestrates our jobs and stages of life for the mission of God. It's unclear how Phoebe was able to be a patron for missionaries and Christians in need, uh, but she came into money somehow, you know? Um, I'm not sure if she was, possibly she was a businesswoman living in the port of the city of Centuria, and and she was able to travel from Centuria to Rome often because of this business that she ran, and so she was capitalizing on this business um, to care for missionaries and to care for those in need. It's possible that she was in a unique position of being a wealthy widow, uh, we're not told um, of any sort of spouse or significant other, so, so maybe she's a wealthy widow, no longer in need of working a job, uh, but, but able to use these finances to be generous to missionaries and ministries. Whatever the case may be, we learn from Phoebe's life and the other names on this list that God intends to use you where you are presently. Stage of life and job that you have are are part of God's sovereign orchestration. He is, is placing you in this moment for a reason. Your, your stage of life is not an accident. Your job is not an accident. You are placed in the present moment so that you might be a minister in a way that other people in this church cannot be. You fit into the plan of God in this community of faith exactly how God intends you to The question is not whether you can use this present moment. The question is, are you willing to put every season of life on the altar before God and say, do with it as you please? Phoebe allowed whatever season of life she was in to be used by the Lord. And let me just urge you, church, don't waste the stages of life either looking back at younger years where you could minister differently or looking forward to future years that don't exist yet. Satan traps us into this world that says, I'll serve the Lord when fill in the blank. When this happens, when I'm no longer a mother of three, or a, 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 I've no longer got kids in the house, when I retire, when this job slows down, when we, we all get in our heads and, and, and think that whatever present season of life we're in, God sneezed and made a mistake, and that he, he, we're waiting on Him to catch up with our plans uh, so that we could be better servants of Him in the future, <laughs> And I praise God for people like Phoebe who whatever state, I don't know if she's a widow or a businesswoman, either way, she was going to be a patron of many and a servant in the church of Centuria and willing to even take a thousand, year, a thousand mile journey with a letter that people might know the gospel more deeply. May we not waste our lives as they are now and as they will be later. Phoebe carried Paul's letter to Rome. Phoebe was a servant of the church at Centuria. She was a patron of many. And just from this two, these two verses and her example and the way Paul talks about her, we learn that both men and women are essential to the mission of God. Servanthood is essential to the mission of God. And God orchestrates our jobs and stages of life for the mission of God. So allow me to close with a simple question that applies to different people in different ways. And the question is just this. Why are you here this morning? I mean, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not sure where you stand with what is in this book, 
uh, what is preached in this church, but somehow, someway, God worked through somebody to get you here to hear these words, and I believe it's because there's a God that's in charge of every molecule in the universe, including where you sat this morning, and, and I believe that God loves you and wants you to be one of his people and wants to forgive you and transform you and use you in something that will outlast you. The question is, are you willing to trust him with your life as the leader and Lord? Or maybe you're a Christian here this morning, and uh, you, you know COVID has just messed everything up uh, with your routine <laughs> and with how life is supposed to go, and you find yourself in this season of floating or simply existing or simply surviving rather than allowing the Lord to use you how he sees fit even in this moment. I feel the temptation in myself. I, I, my, my office uh, over in the education building, um, I just let get disgusting and like pile up, and it was just like a mess in there. If you've cleaned the church, then you're probably thinking, man, what a, a slob that is. And, and in my mind, I, I thought, you know, the building project's gonna get done one day, and I'm gonna move offices, and so why do I need to do anything. There's this thing of, oh, I'll do that in a later season. And COVID, I think, for so many of us is, oh, yeah, I'll do that when all this is over. But I'm just urging us, church, to, to in every season, realize God's in charge of it and say, how do you want me to steward this one? This job, this dollar spent, this relationship, um, even a year like 2020 and 2021, Lord, how would you have me spend it? So, so why are you here this morning? Why, what is God equipping you for? What is God confronting you with? We're, we're going we're gonna to go into it, just a time of self-reflection, and, and then we're going to pray and hopefully sing these words uh, together genuinely. Um, so let's pray together, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray the, the words of this next song that we're going to sing. Uh, Father, we just... Thank you so much for creating us. Thank you so much for saving us. Though we've spent so much of our lives ignoring even your existence. And God, we just ask that you would help us to present our lives to you on an altar. Help us to offer our souls and our mind and our strength to you. You have cleansed us by your mercy. And we pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the way in which you've called us into relationship with you. Ultimately, God, we pray that Jesus be glorified, that Jesus be magnified, and Father, that our lives would be a pleasing sacrifice to you. Not because we're trying to earn your favor, but because you've poured out so much favor upon us already through Jesus Christ. We pray this um, by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.